So we are looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Book of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, a famous chapter, but a chapter that I think the beginning in particular has often been misunderstood. Now, I grew up in a, in a church, I grew up in a church, but I would say that I really got converted um, around ninth, 10th grade, somewhere around there. And uh, I remember the ministry that I was part of back then uh, emphasized memorizing certain scriptures, which I think is a great idea. And I remember being uh, told that Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is a great verse to memorize because it's the definition of faith. And um, it actually was a confusing verse to memorize as the definition of faith because it's actually not really the full New Testament biblical definition of faith. As a matter of fact, the translation in particular that I was using, um, I, you know, I graduated high school in 1982, so the New International Version, which came out in 1978, that was like the hot new version, and that's what I learned. Um, it's interesting that the NIV has actually changed their translation for Hebrews 11.1, 1, because the 1978 translation was particularly bad. Um, <laughs> but it's not just that Bible translation's fault. I think a lot of people um, both in the church and outside of the church, have some misunderstandings about what faith actually is. Uh, for instance, some people, and you might feel this sometimes around a, a campus community where a lot of people are well-educated, some people feel like faith is something that the uneducated need. But it's not something that you will need once you understand things, once you learn things, once you can um, kind of grow up a little bit. So some people see faith as something, you know, that's like a crutch for the uneducated. Other people see faith as a feeling. And I think, you know, even beyond a feeling, I think some people feel like, especially people who are outside of the Christian community, but I think inside the Christian community too, feel like, well, faith, there are certain people that just sort of have this temperament where they can always keep on the sunny side of life. You know that old song, the Carter family song, it was in Oh, brother, where art thou? It, it's kind of a terrible song, <laughs> um, as far as, like, theologically, as far as, like, the message. Like, the Christian disposition is not one where you can always keep on the sunny side of life and just pretend that everything is coming up roses, right? Um, but some people, I think, think that that's what faith is, and, and they might think, well, I don't really have that ability. I actually, you know, am kind of down a lot of the time, or you might, you know, if you're kind of a self-righteous person who's a little more down, then you might say, well, I see things more clearly than those shallow people who think that everything are fine, right? So, you know, whatever it is, you might feel excluded from those that have faith because you think that faith is kind of a temperament of like eternal optimism. And I think that affects people in the church because you might be around people that you might look to and think, boy, they've got such incredible faith. And it might just be that they're lying about how they're really feeling half the time. And, and then if you're somebody who's trying to figure out Christianity, you might look at these Christians and say, they always just seem to talk about like how everything's going to get better. And I don't think the Bible promises that, at least not in the short term. Not in the short term. There's no promise that just because you pray to God that things will work out well or the way you want them to. But I think some people feel like excluded from being a part of the Christian community because they don't seem to have this magical temperament or disposition that we think of as faith. 
And some, I think, both in the church again, but particularly outside the church, would think of faith is like what you need to go from where reason gets you this far and then faith takes you the rest of the way. In other words, faith and reason are kind of against each other or they certainly don't overlap. Most people don't think of faith and thinking as going together, but as two different things. I mean, think about what people mean when they say that we should walk by faith. What does that generally mean to you when you think about that? If somebody says, you know, I'm just really trying to walk by faith, they probably, you probably think they mean something like, I'm just going to try and keep my head up, even though things are not looking good. I'm just going to try to be optimistic because I know God is for me and God is God. But Hebrews 11 might suggest that walking by faith means something different. It means living by believing that God's objective love for you transforms all reality. Is that what people mean when they say they're walking by faith, or do they mean they're walking by their feelings and trying to remain confident that God is guiding them? Hebrews 11, the definition of faith is about living out of the objective reality of what Jesus did and having that spill over into everything. That's the biblical idea of faith. Hebrews 11 is teaching that what we believe about things we can't see determines the way we live in the here and the now. Let's read this. I, I printed out the ESV translation. It's not as bad as the NIV, but I'm going to explain to you why I think verse 1 should be translated even a little differently than even the ESV has. But follow along with the ESV. We'll read the first six verses, though we won't, we won't cover so much of the, the ending of this tonight. We're going to spend most of our time in the first few verses. This is God's word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's what Hebrews has to say about faith. Let's pray and then we'll dig into this. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would teach us um, what is so important to understand about faith as we gather here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What is faith? So as I said, as a young believer, I was taught to memorize Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, as the definition of faith. And the original 1978 NIV translation that I was taught to memorize didn't render this verse very well. Here's what it said. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I don't know about you, 
But that seems pretty hard to live up to. But even if it was hard to live up to, if that's what God's word actually says, well, then that's what God's word says. But unfortunately, that's actually not a very good rendering of the Greek. Now, the NIV, or sorry, the ESV uses this word assurance, which is sort of like has a double meaning. It can refer to something more objective, like a surety, or like a deed that proves that you own something, or it could refer to a feeling. So they kind of split the difference. But Bill Lane, noted uh, New Testament scholar, he's went on to be with the Lord now, wrote two-volume commentary in Hebrews, and he goes to great lengths to argue about this. Here's the thing that he points out that's so important. Faith is not a feeling of being sure. That's why the NIV, is, it's not a subjective word here. In, in fact, the Greek word the NIV translates as being sure, and what the other translations translate assurance, is a word that's a strong objective noun. It's not a subjective feeling word. It's an objective word. As a matter of fact, it's a word that refers to a title deed. Now, you, most of you don't know what a title deed is. Eric knows what a title deed is. He doesn't have his title deed. Probably the bank does, right? Just like us. But it exists. A title deed is proof that you own your house. Of course, when you have a mortgage, the bank has the title deed. But if you would ever be able to pay off the mortgage, you can actually hold the title deed. And it shows that you're the owner of this house. You have possession of it. So what the, the writer here is saying is that faith is having a title deed. Faith is having a title deed. It's imperative, Bill Lane goes on to say, that the objective sense of this term be represented in our translations. Translations like confidence or being sure or assurance are untenable because they give to the term a subjective value that it does not possess. So here's how Bill Lane suggests translating this verse. Now faith celebrates the objective reality of the blessing or events for which we hope the demonstration of events as yet unseen. On this account, men of the past received attestation by God. Let me say that again, because it's not in front of you. It was just words. It just went over your head, I know. Faith celebrates the object objective reality of the blessings or events for which we hope. Faith celebrates the objective reality of the blessings or events for which we hope. Now, understand this. In the Bible, the word hope never means wishful thinking. Do you know this? So it's important that you understand. Sometimes we just take Bible words and we give them the meaning they have in our culture rather than the meaning they have in the Bible. But the word hope in the Bible never refers to sort of a spirit of optimism. It's not being an optimist. Hope is not anything that it, you're just sort of wishful thinking. Hope is actually solid and secure and confident. When you hope for something in the Bible, you know it's coming. So, so what it's saying here is faith celebrates the title deed of what Jesus has done. Remember, this is Hebrews chapter 11. We've been going through Hebrews. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 are all about one thing. Do you remember what it is? about what Jesus did on the cross that opened for us a new and living way so that we could come boldly before the throne. 
And what Hebrews 11 is saying is living in light of that objective reality that has been secured for us by the life and death of Christ is what it means to live by faith. It means living by faith does not mean hoping that everything will get better in just some sort of vague, optimistic way. It doesn't mean just thinking that, uh, you know, I feel confident that God loves me just because I kind of feel it really powerfully today for some reason. I just woke up and just knew God loved me. No, faith is living in line with the objective reality of what Jesus actually did because you have a title deed, because you have confidence that he's opened the way into the very presence of God, where you can come boldly and commune with him there. Bill Lane explains it further this way. Faith celebrates now the reality of the future blessings. One commentator says, faith takes possession by anticipation. I think that's a great phrase, a great way to think of it. Faith takes possession by anticipation. You begin to enjoy now what's coming. Sometimes I, we're going to sing uh, on Jordan Stormy Banks at the end. Sometimes I introduce that hymn saying, you know, it's good to sing songs about what's coming, about what is surely coming for those who put their faith in Jesus. Because we want the reality of that day, the glory of that day that's coming to spill over into the way we live today. And it changes the way we live. One of the Puritans used to say that he who's riding on his way to his coronation, thinks very little of a little rain along the way. Now, that doesn't mean to make light of trials and tribulations, but there is a perspective when you know you're going to be crowned and that all things will be made right, it changes the way you live today. And that's what Hebrews is talking about. Faith celebrates now, Bill Lane says, the reality of the future blessings, knowing that the blessings for which we hope are firmly secured by the promise of God. Faith demonstrates the existence of reality that cannot be perceived through objective sense perception. Faith has the capacity to unveil the future so that the solid reality of events as yet unseen can be grasped by the believer." So the first thing I want to point out in sort of unpacking this idea is that faith, the Christian understanding of faith, focuses on reality. Faith focuses on reality. Faith celebrates something real, namely the work of Jesus, our priest. Now, not all Christians have quite understood this. You know, there, there's kind of the Kierkegaard and some of these people that think about faith as like this leap in the dark. That's not faith, biblically speaking. Faith celebrates the objective reality. It focuses on reality. Namely, here in context, remember, 8, 9, and 10, those three chapters have been talking about the objective reality. Jesus actually lived. He actually died. He actually is resurrected. He actually, even right now, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Those aren't just fairy tales. Those aren't just abstract ideas. That's reality. And faith sees that reality. It's opening your eyes to see things that truly are there that not everyone sees. Faith is a conviction focused on reality. Faith is belief in God's promises in spite of appearances, in spite of circumstances, because of God's faithfulness demonstrated by what Jesus did. Faith sees the priesthood of Jesus as the event 
that gives perspective on all of life. It sees what Jesus did as real and secure once for all. That's been the whole focus of the last three chapters. In some ways, see Hebrews 11, these first couple verses are this sort of transition, conclusion, how are we to live in light of what Jesus has done, and then it kind of casts this gaze over the whole of the Old Testament and shows how people in the Old Testament also lived by faith, believing God's promises. Now, it's not so much in this message, but I'll just throw this in a little extra. In Galatians, Paul basically makes this point really clear that faith feeds on the promises of God. Faith feeds on the promises of God. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians that the Scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. Now, that's really a fascinating little phrase that Paul says there in Galatians, I think it's in chapter 4, because if you go look at where does the Bible talk about the gospel being preached to Abraham, it's when God promises to make of him a great nation. But it's not the Bible that says that the Bible wasn't written yet. God says it to Abraham, but in the mind of the Apostle Paul, in the mind of all the New Testament writers, if Scripture says it, God says it. If God says it, Scripture says it. It's one of the really important things to understand about what the Bible thinks about itself that's often not noticed. But what is it that the Bible, that the Bible says it preaches the gospel? You know, Abraham has not told anything about Jesus and about how you need to invite Jesus into your heart or any of these things that we typically think of as the gospel. All that God said to Abraham was he promised to him. And Paul says the gospel is a promise. And the one who promised is faithful. Faith sees that that's true. Faith is not a leap in the dark. There's point two, three here. Faith does not refuse to look at evidence. Rather, it sees evidence that unbelief rejects. Though biblically speaking, the evidence that unbelief rejects is rejected without good reason. The Bible regularly speaks of faith as grasping reality rather than being a form of escapism. But I will tell you, if you hang around with Christians, you may be very confused about this. Because a lot of Christians speak of faith as like being able to close your eyes to reality. And particularly if God stirred your heart about the problems and the brokenness in the world, you may feel like sometimes you don't fit in with the Christian church because Christians just always seem to just want to talk about quiet times and praying and seem to like have their eyes shut all the time. But that's not the, what the Bible speaks of when it speaks about faith. The Bible speaks of faith as seeing the things that break God's heart and having it break your heart, but also seeing that the one who's promised to make all things new is true and can be depended on, and is even now at work. So faith sees more, not less. And let me just say, a lot of your friends who are trying to figure out what Christianity is about, or maybe aren't interested in what Christianity is about, they're probably confused about this point. Because most Christians, when they talk about faith, they seem to talk about it as some like mystical, ooey thing that nobody else could probably understand. And they tend to think of it as something that allows you to escape from struggle and just sort of live in this kind of blissful state with God. 
That's not the way the Bible speaks about faith. You see, faith, uh, Hebrews 11 is not a baseless emotional appeal to believe and persevere. You can't cut it off from chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10 about what Jesus has done. The real objective work of Christ on the cross, his present work at the right hand of the Father, pleading for his people, interceding, is emphasized throughout these last three chapters. And so when it says that faith is, is the conviction or is, celebrates the title deed, it's, it's putting an exclamation point on what it's been saying for the last three chapters. I, I'll just say this, you know, the Bible actually argues that those who don't believe in God are actually the ones who've taken a leap in the dark. And the Bible says that many people live in a fantasy world of their own creation because they reject out of hand the fundamental fact of the universe, which is God's existence, his creation of all things, and his stamping all things with meaning. I have my uh, hymnology class reading this article by a guy named Ted Turnow, and I commend it to all of you because he points out, um, it's called a theological reflection on popular culture is meaningful from the 2002 Calvin Theological Journal. If you want to find it or you can email me and I'll send it to you. But what he, he makes this brilliant point in this article. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. In other words, everything that exists is not just static, it's speaking about God's glory. And the only reason you don't hear it is because you refuse to listen. But you're hearing it. Everyone's hearing it. It's why even things that non-Christians say and do and art they make and work they're a part of is all meaningful because they're interacting with God. They're dialoguing with God, whether they realize it or not, because they're taking the stuff that he's stamped with meaning and interacting with it. And it's complicated because sometimes even people who don't believe in Jesus hear what God is speaking through creation clearer than Christians who kind of put their fingers in their ears sometimes. I could give you lots of examples about that kind of thing. Like the way, you know, beauty, the, these oppressive ideas of beauty that are so arbitrary, the best critiques of those come, I'm afraid, not from the Christian church, but from people that are hearing God speaking about the goodness and glory of all creation, whether they realize it or not. That's what God is saying through all creation. And sometimes people hear it in ways that the Christian church blocks out, okay? So faith, faith is always interacting with real stuff. It's not a leap in the dark. It's opening your ears and opening your eyes to more reality than you can taste, touch, or smell. Faith knows things because it takes God's word as true. Verse 3 is interesting, isn't it? It says that, by faith we understand. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, that's, you can't put those two ideas together. I thought faith was like outside of understanding. But that's not the way the Bible speaks of it. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Why? Because we were there? No. But because God who speaks, excuse me, is trustworthy. So faith knows things because it takes God's word as true. Now, I know you might say, well, that seems like circular reasoning. We could get together and talk about that. 
um, th there is a response to that. It's more a spiral than a tight circle. But in fact, everybody has certain presuppositions. And it's worth looking at them. Because so many people borrow from the Christian worldview to argue against it. They do. They, they, they say things like, well, you know, um, well, I, I'll give you an example. I, I mean, a lot of the things that's so interesting, a lot of the things that people take for granted as self-evident are things that did not come into the world's consciousness until Christianity. Like the idea that women could be free to not have sex with whoever demanded it from them. Now, that, it's a matter of historical fact that the first people to ever push back on that and to make laws against that were the early Christian Roman emperors. These, are, these things, but now people don't know the history and they think, well, that's just self-evident. It's not self-evident if you believe in scientific naturalism and you believe in kind of a Darwinistic idea that the strong should do whatever the hell they want. But you don't want to live in a world like that, and neither do I. And the reason is because of what I believe about God and what I believe about the people that he's made in his image. It's not self-evident. Though I'm glad a lot of people live inconsistent with their worldview. People that, people that really believe that everything came from time plus chance plus nothing still act like people have value. And I'm glad. It makes the world a better place to live. But they're borrowing from my worldview. They're borrowing from the Christian worldview, right? Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith knows things because it takes God's word as true. Faith is not a plant as well that's native to the human heart. It's one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. He said, if I find faith in my heart, I know that someone must have planted it there because it's not native to the soil of the human heart. Faith is not a plant native to the human heart. And faith is not a work, because a reward is not a wage. Now, this is also a confusing verse. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, it's not saying that if you have faith, you can then please him by what you do. And the reason I know that is what it says next. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. A reward is not the same as a wage. You don't, get, you don't get paid for seeking God. As a matter of fact, what the Bible says, Romans chapter 3, no one seeks God. No one understands. All have turned away from him. Uh, this, is, this theme is all the way through the Bible. This is Genesis chapter 6, the beginning of the Noah story. God looked at mankind and saw that all the intentions of his heart were only evil all the time. This is what we're going to talk about tomorrow, theology study, by the way. Um, so that what the Bible says is, if something, something in you comes towards God, it's not natural. It's because something has happened. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. But if you believe that God exists, it's because he's opened your eyes to more reality. And he rewards those who seek him. In other words, if your eyes are open, run to him. Because blessings beyond belief will be yours. You know, um, 
Jesus tells this parable that really offends a lot of people, a lot of his parables do, where um, these people come to work for, at the vineyard. Do you remember this little parable? Some of you might know this story. Well, Jesus basically you know, tells a story about a vineyard owner who goes into the marketplace and gets some people at the beginning of the day. He says, come work with me, and I'll pay you a full day's wage, a denarii, if you work you know, in my fields today. And he gets some people. And then he goes back later in the day and gets some more people. And later in the day, he gets some more people. Later in the day, the very last hour, when there's like an hour left in the working day, he goes and he gets some more people. And then the vineyard owner lines them all up to pay them. And so that everybody would know what he's doing, he pays the people that were hired last first. So that the people who were hired first would see what the people who were hired last get paid. And you know what he does? He pays the people that worked the very last hour of the day, the full denarii. And everybody's offended. Why? Because we think we deserve what we've earned and what we've worked for. And we don't understand that you will never earn. You will never earn enough to be welcomed into God's presence. But he rewards those who seek him. Rewards. He blesses you beyond belief. Not because you earned it or deserved it, but because he opened your eyes. And if he's opened your eyes, if you see Jesus as more beautiful and believable than your own self-righteousness, than your own commitment to live life the way you want to, then don't delay, run to him. He rewards those who seek him. The one who has made that promise is true and trustworthy. Now we're gonna pick up on this next week and continue to talk about Hebrews 11 and how faith changes everything. Because the point of the Old Testament is not to lift up certain heroes, but what, they, what, what the writer of Hebrews says is, look, all of these people that he goes through in the whole rest of chapter 11, what sometimes we call the heroes of the faith, which is a terrible way to describe the rest of chapter 11, the, it's not about the heroes of faith, it's about the faithful God and about people whose eyes had been opened to see that they have something, an abiding city to come. And based on that assured reality, some of them triumphed and some of them suffered unspeakable torture. But they all live by faith. So we're gonna talk about that next week. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing a closing hymn.